We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast with me, your host, Tim Stillman. Today, Elliot taking the day off because he is furious that Arsenal had Arsenal 10, Lons 0. At half-time, it's 5-0, and obviously football is completely logical and linear. Therefore, Arsenal were going to score five goals in the second half. We were finally going to get the 10-0, and then Arsenal called off the dogs and only won 6-0. So, Elliot is sulking. And he is refusing to join us for this podcast. And he says he's not coming back until we win 10-0. So you're stuck with me as your host today. Before we crack into this uh, very, very nice game to talk about, it has to be said, uh, the 6-0 Champions League victory over RC Lons. How nice does that sound after a few years of Europa League and games that I forgot before the final whistle went? I think this is one that will live long in the memory. I think actually all of the home games in this Champions League group stage will live long in the memory. But before I crack on with Clive, um, I just wanted to point you to on Patreon. Some of you might not have seen it because it went out fairly close to kickoff on Wednesday, but uh, Clive and Elliot put together a scouting video for Victor Oshiman um, with some good data in there, good kind of comparison to the output of Gabriel Jesus and everything like that. And there's some video, there's some data. And those of you who are patrons um, might know the drill with the scouting videos. Those of you who aren't, well, there's a good reason to sign up to Patreon, um, as well as our instant reaction episodes, which come out mm, around about an hour, hour and a bit after the final whistle of every game as well. It's one of those last night um, with Elliot and Scott and Clive giving his insight from the ground. Um, I don't sit near the Wi-Fi hub at Emirates so unfortunately, I can't give my <laughs> insights from the ground because they won't send. But uh, nevertheless, you can hear the insights anyway on this game of Clive, who you can follow on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Have you uh, thawed out yet from last night, Tim? <laughs> I tell you what. So because um, it's, it's mainly for like covering the women's games, right? Because some of those this time of year, they're in smaller stadiums, you know, 
um, slightly more open. Some of them, Meadow Park is literally a box in the middle of a park. (laughs) And I'm there an hour and a half before kickoff and an hour after the end. So I've got a winter coat, like a big three-quarter length puffer. Honestly, I, I was... I was sweating at points last night, put it that way. It's like, it's properly, I can't turn my head when I'm wearing it. I'm like the Michelin man. Like if you push me over, I'm done. I'm like a turtle. You just, um, just lay there on the ground. <laughs> exactly. And just wait for someone to roll me over on my front so I can pick myself up. So yeah, I, I have, it's not quite John Motson sheepskin, but I do have the biggest jacket in the world so I, I was actually relatively toasty last night what about you i was all right i've got my new winter coat ready to go this is for least my london coat right so you can't have me big coat traveling on the train because people want to sit next to you and so i, it, I do yes. have i do have my non-league coat which is a when i go and watch <laughs> non-league games which is similar to Boromwood. And that's that's got no no doesn't care about who's next year that's about staying alive right so um i got that coat yeah, exactly. No, I have exactly that. Unfortunately, I kind of travel back on the Elizabeth line, which for those of you who don't live in London, don't know, is a very, very new kind of tube line. And thankfully, there tends to be a bit more space on that. But yeah, I have to have exactly the same consideration because it takes up two seats. And frankly, if I zip it up on public transport, again, can't move my arms or any of my limbs to be honest so like if i zip that up and sit down on a train i'm not getting up until someone lifts me up so that's that's enough about winter wear (laughs) i think let's get on to the game which did plenty i think to warm the cockles of arsenal fans lots of uh well the thing i love about going to football at this time of year and we heard a lot of it thankfully last night is the sound of gloved hands applauding that kind of lovely winter thud you get and there was lots of it last night because there was lot to applaud so before we um go into i think there are a lot of uh, really interesting individual performances performances of units as well um to go into just like as a bit of an overall i saw um i think it's jordan campbell from the athletic tweeted that this is the first time that we've had Rice Havertz Erdegaard midfield, Martinelli Saka Jesus front three. What many people would have considered in August Arsenal's first choice slash strongest front six. Certainly, I think they're most offensive. And it's the first time we've seen it together. And um, it's set a pretty high bar <laughs> for the next time we see it together. What did you make? <laughs> Just like overall thoughts on the game, but I, I guess because we did so much attacking as well, the, the first kind of impression of those two units together. Yeah, so obviously on this podcast, we've got a bloke called Elliot. He's, he's a bit of a worrier about how we attack, right? And, uh, and so and when he when he's doing his thing, I'm always looking at why are we not quite doing it? What's happening? And we spoke last week about the amount of space we've been allowed to play in, and maybe how we attack is a little bit more deliberate based on the fact we want to make sure we're in shape before we attack in case we lose the ball. We saw that against City, and it worked because we finally beaten them. And some of this was down to individual personnel either being injured or carrying an injury. Or, or, you know, suspended or whatever it may be, you know, coming back from internationals, whatever it may be, we didn't quite have all of our people out there. And obviously, let's be honest, Havertz has been integrating, shall we say, you know, moved around different positions, 
Jesus moving around different positions, cover for injury. Jesus has been injured. My has been injured. Odegaard's been injured. And so, while the attack was wasn't clicking, and I don't like that word, while the attack wasn't clicking, we came to we came to conclusions down to the respect by which we've been given by the opposition, and maybe personnel. And with Jesus coming back, we spoke last week about Havertz playing in midfield, and the reason why I was quite keen to see it is there are no more excuses now everybody's there and so that group is there so let's have a look at it and whatever we find out let's play through it let's find out play through because this potentially was the plan this is the plan let's see it when everybody's there everyone's fit everyone's ready to go in key games find out and if it doesn't work we know but let's find out and judge people based on the balance of a team and Teammate balance is such a thing that you realise when you see it and so you don't always realise when it's not quite there and how important it is to the general output. And I'm sure you're going to tell me how you feel about it, but that front six looks so balanced in their strengths, weaknesses, size, physicality, where they like to be sides of the pitch that brings out their skills, their ability to interchange. The balance was really, really high. And I said on the IR last night, what really struck me quickly, all three of those centre midfielders, Rice, Odegaard, Havertz, all 24 years of age. I mean, that is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I I think... um... One of the things, I guess, what I kind of, so hmm, let me rewind and stop uh, kind of spluttering a little bit there. Um, I wrote my col- my weekly column this morning and I kind of knew what it was going to be about, but I wanted to see this game first. And so I did kind of view the game with that, through that lens, lens, if you will. And the, the column I'd been thinking about, because I'd read a lot of stuff this week, Adrian Clark's, um, uh, analysis of the Brentford game, which was brilliant, and he talked about all the three v two penalty area situations Arsenal forced against Brentford, and uh, in the Athletic this week, Ahmed Walid, who's um, really hot on like data and tactics, he wrote a column with uh, John Muller in the Athletic about the back post. And he was looking at all of the attacking moves this season. Some of them goals, not all of them, where Arsenal had created superiority on the back post, which is clearly something we've talked about a lot with Havertz. It really got me thinking, and because we also had, um, after the Brentford game, Saka spoke about being doubled up on. So all of this has been going through my mind and all of this is I've been thinking, so how do we find the spare man? Because if they're going to double up on Saka and they're going to double up on Martinelli, that leaves someone spare somewhere. And I think when you've got Havertz, Erdegaard, Saka, Jesus, Martinelli, there's quite a few useful spare men, potentially, if that makes sense. And funnily enough, when I was reading stuff by Adrian and Ahmed, it's actually Trossard who does that the best, I think, makes himself the spare man. Because Trossard, he's in that probably that sweet spot where people don't double up on him like they do Saka and Martinelli, but he's good enough to punish the kind of space. And you think about his goal at Chelsea, the goal he should have had against Brentford. And that that really made things click in my mind and made me think, yeah, that's, that's what Trossard is. Trossard is good at 
understanding where the superiorities are, understanding where teammates are doubled up on and creating that spare man. And Havertz hadn't done that yet, but I think there are good signs, and we'll talk about him in a minute, there are good signs that he's beginning to to get it and the team are beginning to get him. So you look at the first goal, he ghosts into, well, he has a header just before he scores, right? And then he ghosts into the box and he's starting to understand. And I think, and then you see Tomiyasu overlapping a lot more. We'll talk about him later. But it seems to me that what's starting to click with Arsenal is finding that spare man somewhere. And Arsenal kept finding it last night. It Like, it's not really the case, I don't think, that um, Lons didn't respect Saka and Martinelli. It's that Arsenal were... I think they just look like they're in a much better position to say, okay, you put two guys on Saka, that leaves Erdegaard free. You put two guys on Martinelli, that leaves Havertz free. And I I don't know whether, I think that is a gradual click that has been happening, but I think having all of those like pretty offensive players as well, and when you've got Rice at the base of the midfield with his go-go gadget legs, um, kind of coming out of nowhere and nicking the ball off people and starting attacks. It, it's it's just so much more dynamic. I, I guess, I mean, I'll let you come back on that, but let, let's frame it this way. Where do you stand on this being a really good sign of clicking, for want of a better word? Or how much do we caveat or contextualise this with in the Champions League, particularly at home? I mean, we scored 12 and conceded none. And I think team like PSV and Lons definitely weren't parking the bus. I think Sevilla were a bit tighter. But I guess how much do you contextualise the fact that in the Champions League, teams aren't sitting 11 men in their penalty area? I, I think teams are coming to play. So what's happening in the Premier League? Because you, you don't have to win every game. And so it's, it's, a, it's a league competition, right? So you can afford to sit and be a bit more negative in a cup competition where you need to gain points to get through to the next phase where there are millions of pounds available, you have to come with a mindset we're going to play. It doesn't mean you stand in the middle of the pitch and say, after you, Claw, just run through us. But you come to play. And Lons, you know, Tim, down your end at the back end in the, in the first half, they had some build-up structures that looked really good. They got out on a couple of occasions, and they turned Sleeper down the sides. Okay, you, you can play. Where they failed was recognising that we could play and recognising that we had diversification of attack. So we pulled them in on occasions and Rhea went long on occasions. And so they left themselves exposed at the back door, four on four, three on three, whatever it was, and one on one, we're, we're pretty good, right? So, But they were, they were snookered by being sucked onto us. Then we went over them. I thought how we understood their weaknesses was really, really ruthless. And I think they came to play, not stupid, they just came to play a game of football. But we saw them, we recognised where we could get at them, and we then selected that passing option. Whether it was short, run through, whether it was over the top, whether it go around the outside, we could do it all. And that's why I get excited about Arsenal sometimes, but the reason why I do get excited is only when I see multiple game plans that we can play. And we can do it all. We can play out from our keeper. We can stand on a halfway line. We can be low. We can beat low blocks, and we are certainly hot in transition. So, and we we didn't have these tools last year, you know. And the reason why we are focused on the attack is because we're so solid. 
So we look at the, the one thing that may not be working. When that works, where do we go now? But the trick is, the number one thing about this team, for me, is its IQ, intelligence, speed of game recognition. The only time you hear me get angry on this podcast, Tim, angry for me, that is, is when we don't recognize a game that's on offer. That's the only time. Maybe two, maybe two things. Misuse of resources, don't recognize a game that's on offer. Sometimes they're interlinked, because I think we're smarter than that. And it's no coincidence to me, we had a very smart team on the pitch last night. They were, we had no stupid players. Does that make, does that make sense when I say that? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and well, let's talk about... I, I think there are a lot of um, individuals to talk about in this game. Like, if I'd been on the instant reaction, there's a lot of stock rising um, in this game because there's there's some players who've shown us stuff that maybe they haven't shown us enough of um, so far this season. And I, I think the natural place to start is with the guy that scores the first goal, um, Kai Havertz. And, you know, like I said, he has that header in the first few minutes on the back post. He's the spare man. Tommy Asu, again, we'll talk about him in a minute, overlapping. We don't always see that. Um, you know, getting that ball up to the back stick and he nearly scores. And then, you know, this time Tommy Asu puts in another cross. Jesus goes for it. Havertz kind of ghosts in in exactly the way we thought he would and hadn't to this point. What do you... Are, are you... Um, did this feel like a breakout performance? And I guess, where do you put the line between okay, this is a player who scored a last-minute winner away from home on Saturday and we're getting some of that confidence out. Or, and, and well, I think that's definitely at least some of it. And, and you know, what we talked about, that finally we had all, like, all of that front six together and it just, just kind of seemed to work. Yeah, I think I'm loath to say it's a breakout performance. I think when I look at players, I try to assess them playing for Arsenal. I, I look at... What's their talent level, right? So once you see something, and I, I keep going back to a charity shield, but by seeing the talent, well, I've seen the talent versus the very best, and he belongs on the pitch versus the very best. We lost him for a few weeks after that, as as he's tried to grow into the team, and he was a bit lost. I was trying to defend him, but looking back now, he's was full of games, etc. He at Forest, he was he was quite quiet. He was quite lost in those games, right? But once you see the talent, I can't unsee it. I can't unsee the impact he has on very good players like Ruben Diaz, for example. And I, I've seen this. Okay, it's lost. So how's it, where's it gone? Positionally, are we using him appropriately? Who's his partners? Who's, who's the units and pods that he's working within? Okay, then you start to get a bit psycho, you know, looking at the psychology of the player, which is a big part of a player. And I was looking at him thinking, you, you don't quite believe in yourself. You're not quite running as you were when you are forced to run, maybe up front. So what do we do? Maybe he's better at centre forward where he's forced into a singular, clarified role of what to do. Set the play, run the size. It, it simplifies things for him. You tend to do that in your mind when something's not quite showing. So you look for solutions. We're fans, right? We, we're pretending we're looking for solutions. But for me, I can see his ability to react to the ball. And in broken plate, the drop of the ball, and I could see him tracking people across the pitch, getting back. I thought, wow, you know what? You can do this midfield thing. You see the understanding about ball progression. Don't receive it square on. He's now starting to get on the half turn and flow through and then run through. But the, the moment I really thought, from the moment I thought, you know what, I'm going to stay with this guy, it was funny enough in the first game against City, 
if you watch the second chance he has, when he should have scored really the right foot cut back cross in that charity shield game, the moment he missed a chance, Tim, if you watch it, his reaction to go and counter press back again was like instant. I mean, like sub sub half second. I mean, it really was instant. That tells me you can play in this team. Your principles of how you go for defence to attack, attack to defence, that's a key part of how, how we play. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, it's only about extracting talent. It's only about making someone feel comfortable. What's the, what has the club done? What have the fans done? We're not stupid. We can see the player talented. He's just a little bit lost. Now he's coming through. He's coming out. And it looks, I look at him running across that midfield. I think, oh my goodness, you're good. You know, you look, you look like you could be really good. You know, and there's so much trickery. He did a little, little turn in the corner where I am. And I'm sure you saw it, Tim. Um, uh, and that just wasn't there, was it? He was setting the ball off quickly as possible, get rid of it. But if you look back at the old Leverkusen videos, mate, there's loads of tricks like this in his game. And so it's just lost or misplaced is the word I should maybe use. It's not gone. And we're starting to find him again. Yeah, I, I was going to point to like some of those Leverkusen compilations that go that, that have gone around and you think, wow, I don't think I've really ever seen this player in England. And you're right, once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it. I think one of the things I was really interested in as well was the third goal, the Saka goal, actually, where Raya goes long, but he goes long to Martinelli and then Havertz counter-presses. And that, that to me seems really interesting. And I'd have to go back and watch because I'm not sure how many times that's happened. That strikes me as a slight switch almost because it's almost like when you want to counter press, you don't want to win the header, really. You don't want to because like who are you going to flick it on to? You're just going to flick it on into their centre-backs. What you really want, I think, when you kind of go long and you have those aerial challenges is for the defender to get a bit of the ball but for it to just bounce basically, and then you're onto it. And that's... Second yeah. ball game to him. All about the second ball, and Havertz is brilliant at that. He reads it, and once, and he just whips those long legs out, and then he just takes the second ball. Shaka was good at second ball stuff, to be fair. But yep. then he would knock the ball off quite early, because he's a ball progressor. But Havertz has the ability to manipulate the ball, create new angles, and then lay off in a more, and commit people before he does it. Does that make sense? Because he's more of a natural yeah. attacker. Yeah, and that, that's what happens with the third goal. He picks up the bits and pieces. Martinelli goes ahead. He waits, he waits, he plays the ball to Martinelli and it's Saka's goal in the end, but could just as easily have been Martinelli's and Martinelli scores one like that a few mm. minutes later. And that Because that's another thing that like we just haven't really had that left pod yet this season. Like Martinelli and Havertz haven't had that relationship and that was a really nice sign. One of the things I dug out um, actually doing the column as well is Zinchenko is playing a lot more crosses this season than he did last season, almost double the amount. Interesting. And it's because he's finding that that back post, like that clip to the back post that, that Arsenal really like from Saka's side as well. And and so Zinchenko, I guess, is doing something a little bit different. So whereas the right pod is generally quite settled, we know really who's going to play there. And we'll come on to Tomiyasu in a minute. He looked like a much more productive part of that. Whereas 
particularly around Martinelli, it, it's been a little bit more, um, there's been a little bit more change and disruption. But if we can settle that Zinchenko, Havertz, Martinelli um, kind of pod, no, there were some really good signs of, of that last night, I think. And I think of a, you know, Havertz taking a step towards his teammates and his teammates taking a step towards him, understanding where the spaces are, understanding the qualities of the player, which are not purely aerial. That's like, obviously, that's a big thing. And that's the thing he's got more than anyone else, I think, in the team. But that doesn't mean that he's just a lamppost. I yeah. think that's to this point, that's all we've really got out of him. There's clearly like, there's with his feet, there's skills there as well. And I think, I think, I think I'm just beginning to see the player and the team work each other out. And I think I'm beginning to see, uh, ah, yeah, if they're going to double up on the other guys, yeah, that, that that's that's going to be nice for me <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to be quite free. And we're, we're setting up all these 3v2s in the penalty area. Like, I, I can feast here if I keep getting into those areas. And, exactly. and yeah, there, there's clearly stuff we saw last night that was about confidence. And I think... The thing for Havertz as well is like, and this really comes out when you're in the stadium, like he's a big guy, like your eye is drawn to him very, very naturally. Mm. And the way he moves, I think is just so much more notable because he's so much like bigger and stockier than everyone else. Like you, you can tell like with Saka, Saka has cruise mode. We all know that Saka spends 60% of the game in cruise mode, but you, you don't somehow... You kind of have to look for it. If Havertz goes into cruise mode, like you see it, you know, <laughs> he's a very like physically obvious kind of player. You know, like I think there's statistics about guys who get in fights in pubs, like generally, like the taller you are, the more likely someone's going to take a swing at you, basically. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what it feels like for Havertz. So when he's moving, and he's like he look, he looks like a velociraptor when he actually goes for it. It's because because you can't you can't not see it. It's just like whoa, what's that? I, and, I, um, and yeah, I was, was going to say I, I I say it before. I find him fascinating because I can't think of many players with that profile in the game. Right? You think about where he can play and how he looks and how he and how he plays. And yes, output is, is means a lot to people and people have got him pinned to his salary and his transfer fee and the fact I want to see goals, they're not going to open their eyes to the potential of what we could have in this guy. If Thomas Party was fit, I think his introduction to the team would have been different, calmer, expectations lower. But he was he's played I think he's been involved in almost every single Premier League game this season so far. And so he's played. And so some of that has not been pretty. But it's getting prettier. And again, I, I always look for two jobbers, I call them. You heard me say it before, Tim. People that can do two jobs in the same game. So he can be a centre-forward, second centre-forward, a number eight or, or a ten, whatever you want to call it. And he can flip onto the outside of the pitch when they do a rotation with Martinelli. And he looks all right in all those positions. All of them. You know, so... And the art of the possible grows. And I think that's why we went for him. Now it's about producing more, feeling comfortable getting to a level of consistency, feeling like you're a proper long pole in the tent and not somebody along for the ride. You know, and I think that's the next bit for him now. And I think that's starting to come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, at Chelsea, they never gave up on him. 
um, Germany playing him at left wing back. I know, I know <laughs> we've had a bit of a laugh about that, but what that shows you is there. there's qualities there that all of his coaches – look, the fact that he's moved around a lot does does definitely suggest I don't know the best pl- place for this player – but no one is giving up trying to find out. And I do think that's significant as well. No one's going, do you know what? This guy's just useless or I can't use him anywhere. It's I, I need to be able to use this guy and I need to be able to find the best place to use him. And the fact that, you know, um, none of those coaches are, are dropping him, um, I think is, I think is, uh, is, is pretty significant. Before we go on to perhaps another player we unlocked a little bit more of, because I do want to talk about Tommy Asu, who amazingly only played for 45 minutes, but it felt like he played a lot more. I do want to just go to two guys we're very used to now, we're very comfortable with, who have a rate of production and have shown a rate of production in this competition that just feels absolutely ordinary baseline stuff. Two guys I think we still over-rely on a little bit, but Saka and Martinelli, both on the score sheet again, both with assists again. Um, They've really, really enjoyed this Champions League group stage and, and they're Really, that's the identity of our team, I think, right there. Just your impressions on Saka and Martinelli. In one respect, it feels difficult to say anything. Um, Mm. But on the other hand, it kind of feels wrong to ignore it, given what they're producing for us at this level. I mean, Saka and Martinelli last night, Lons couldn't live with either of them. Yeah, the fact that Saka, Martinelli and Saliba are all 22 years of age... Just it's, it's scary stuff, right? It, it is, but alongside that, Tim, it's, it's the maybe something that we're not reading correctly. But these guys have ambitions. They have ambitions mm-hmm. to win the big trophies, and I find it. We've been to we've been to all the home games, right? So I find it, and they've been they've been on it for all of them. I, I find it. Interesting how on it they all are in this competition. You know, they're, they're really, really, really on it. And there was a sense last night, and I just in the undercurrent of some of the interviews, that they wanted to pay Lons back for what happened. So whether something happened in the crowd or whether something happened, you know, for those guys who've been in dressing rooms, you can hear the other dressing rooms singing and banging the ceilings, etc. You know, the people, if you've played a game, you know what I'm talking about. Did something happen? Was there some disrespect that happened out there? Did, did something happen? Because we looked on it. And they wanted to correct the situation there. And I looked at our two wide men, and they were throwing themselves into tackles. They were throwing themselves into setups. They're at full gas, really going for it. I wonder if that's, that highlights a number of things that highlight their ambition, that we maybe, we maybe underestimate as a group, and particularly those two wingers. Does it, does it also highlight the fact that we want to control game states a little bit better? You know, again, that's been a conversation that we've had that maybe opens games up. I'm not sure what it is, but we're, you know, when we go to a game, we're hoping for everything to come together. It's very difficult to repeat performances like this every three, four days. And I never take for granted when they do it. Freezing cold night, Champions League, they bring it. They bring the fire. They bring absolutely everything on and off the ball. They go, they spin long, they come short, they want to create from the middle of the pitch. They put themselves right on the edge of the game and against a physical team, they, they're brave and courageous. 
and they were a physical team. The speed of tackles, Tim, you saw it. The speed of collision, the weight of these guys was heavy. They were heavy, big guys going for us at the back there. And they more than survived it. And um, yeah, nothing but high praise. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Gabriel Jesus goal, like Saka, when you look at it in slow motion, it's actually not a pleasant watch no. because he kind of throws his right leg into a sea of limbs um, to it's you know dead, to tow that ball to Jesus. And it's it's a crowd scene. I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting observation about whether something happened in the away leg or whether it was just kind of wanting to put things right. I think there was a bit of that, but... I tell you, I was going to come on to this a bit later, but maybe we'll do this before we go to a break. But the fourth goal, the Martinelli goal, that's that came mm. down my side. I can a hundred percent. Well, I can't hundred percent tell you. I can a hundred percent speculate. Um, but that for me, that was about what was going on in the crowd yeah. because shortly before that Martinelli goal, I don't know how much people saw at home. Lons fans, um, you know, were were kind of lighting a lot of flares and stuff like that. And they started chucking them into the club level um, uh, kind of area of Arsenal fans. So not only chucking them at Arsenal fans, but at Arsenal fans who are in enclosed space, very, very dangerous, highly dangerous. And I, I have to tell you, as someone who's been abroad to watch Arsenal many, many times, it is so frustrating to me. It's so frustrating to see that, to see how little UEFA care about fan safety at their own events. Um, you know, continually giving finals to places that have shown that they can't cope with fan safety. UEFA never engage on stuff like this. And I didn't go to Lons in the away leg, but my mate um, Tim did and he tweeted, I got my phone charger taken off me in Lons and they've got enough pyrotechnics to blow up Parliament in our away end and they're throwing them into the Arsenal fans. I can tell you now how much interest UEFA are going to take in this. Nothing. Maybe a little fine for Lons. They, They don't care. And they won't care until someone is seriously hurt inside a stadium. And, um, you know, I know from my time watching, covering Brazilian football, this kind of behaviour has killed fans. Um, you know, if, if you've got the stomach for it, I guess a few years ago, there was a 14-year-old Corinthians fan who was killed by a hurled firework in a stadium. UEFA don't care about that. They, they won't even look at this. They won't look up from their uh, their dinners um, to have a look at this. But it's immensely frustrating. Um, I think particularly, listen, English football fans definitely misbehaved, misbehaved abroad a lot. Um, but in a time, probably before I was born and shortly after I was born, and me and many others like me are treated like criminals, like shit when we go to these places. And yet they come... And, you know, they're just like lobbing fireworks about and stuff. I think it's massively out of order. It looked dangerous. And it did have an effect on the crowd, didn't it? The crowd was sort of like, oh, what's going on here? I don't know if if they will get punished. I don't know if the arse will get punished for allowing it to... For not searching. Yeah, Yeah, for it to go either way, right? So, um, but I did sense an edge there, uh, Tim. I sensed an edge in... And, um, and hey, look, the players did their job, and that's what we want. But they, yeah. I thought provocatively celebrated in front of them on occasions, you know? And I felt. So Martinelli's goal. Yeah, Martinelli's goal. That's all happening on his side and his corner. He can see it all. Let me tell you, that Martinelli goal was a fuck you goal. 
that was uh, I, I really think at 3-0 Arsenal would have been okay it's 3-0 it's alright that goal was an adrenaline goal and they went and celebrated in front of them and I think that was a very okay we're doing you again like piss off kind of thing um, I think it's bang out of order that UEFA just couldn't care less about this stuff they could not care less um, and I think it's really out of order but there you go that's that's probably like the one downside of the night so why don't we take a little bit of a break there Elliot will come back with the ad reads which I know is the part that you're all really listening for he hasn't sulked that bit off thankfully um, so let Elliot tell you about some products and we'll be with you in a minute Hey, everybody. Sorry to interrupt the show, but look, look six-goal win. When it's a six-goal win, you can't be mad about anything, including me butting in in the middle of things uh, to tell you. First of all, we did a Victor Awesome Hen scouting video over on uh, the Patreon, that thing. And uh, if you go over there and check it out, I'd be curious to see what you think. I came away more mixed than I think I was expecting. I'd be curious to see what people think of that. But that's beside the point right now. What I want to tell you uh, is, first of all, that I have a supplement that I take every day and I started taking every day for gut health, and it's called AG1. The website is drinkag1.com vision, but it is 75 quality, high, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It is keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, low sugar. Um, and you know, when I look at just the fact that I could replace that shelf full of gummy vitamins, I looked at one of them per serving of vitamins. It was 50 calories mostly from sugar. Considering how few vitamins we're probably actually getting into my body, I don't see how that's a positive routine to be in. This is from a company that was founded uh, science-driven to support athletes and the recovery. So very high-quality product. Um, like I said, took it for gut health. Helped me reduce my coffee intake. Scoop in water in the morning and off you go. I, I hope you'll give it a try. See what you think. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com vision. That's drinkag1.com vision. Check it out. And <clears throat> this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't um, online therapy. It's therapy that happens to be online. And I think that's an important distinction because it is therapy, just like therapy is meant to be. But the idea behind it is you don't have to get in a car. You don't have to go drive to the office and then drive back and find that extra couple of hours in your day and you know spend the extra money and resources to get there and the extra money that it may cost to go see a therapist in person to maybe meet someone, not have it work out, and then say, now I have to go through the process of meeting someone else to try to find what I need or find a specialist in an area that may not <clears throat> even be available where you live. I think if we eat right, it's because we want our body to be healthy. If we exercise, because we want our body to be healthy. But the whole thing is mental health. Mental health fuels all of it. If you have anxiety, your body will break down. If you have stress, your body will break down. If you don't work on the things that your brain is struggling with, your body will break down. And I have been through that in my life. And I've used therapy as a tool to help me get through those hard times. Sometimes it's just about maintenance. <clears throat> Sometimes it's just someone whose job it is to, to talk to you through some of the things that you want to work on and improve on. And so uh, while I think therapy, however you access it, is the right way, you could try BetterHelp. Uh, if you want to find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp, visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vision. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Back to the show. Okay, welcome back. I'm still with Clive uh, talking about Arsenal 6, RC Lens 0, which was very satisfying indeed. Some other performances to come to, and the next two I want to come to, again, I'd use the phrase unlocking um, a little bit. We've talked about that with Havertz, 
potentially unlocking him. Takahiro Tomiyasu, someone I know probably out of all of us on the pod that you admire probably the most, although we all admire him and we all think we understand his his qualities. And I think we've all kind of said prefer him at left back in that slightly inverted role, sliding across to left centre-back, left central midfield. Perhaps we've been less enthusiastic about him at right back because he doesn't quite have the engine that Ben White has on the overlap none of that this time <laughs> um you know the cross for the Habert's chance the cross for the Jesus goal the cross for the Odegaard goal the ball for the Martinelli goal I mean in terms of attacking output and he's only on for 45 minutes and we'll talk about that in a minute actually I think the the management of minutes for the fullbacks is interesting yeah but Takahiro Tomiyasu at right back have we seen this version of Takahiro Tomiyasu at right back? And, and and of course, there are stories. David Ornstein's put a story out that he's like next on the list for contracts for Arsenal. And and maybe there's a little bit of maybe he's playing a bit more because they're trying to get him a con, you know, trying to get him signing new contract. It does happen. Maybe he's playing this well because you know, look, I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but I think it just happens quite naturally. But maybe club wants him to sign a new contract. He'd like a, you know, a good wage as anyone would. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of a. Uh, I think in NFL they refer to the contract year, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, this this was a slightly different Tommy Asu to the one I think we've seen for quite a while. Yeah. So I, I think um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him, only because for many reasons. But how he defends. He's, he understands defense, defensive distances. He, he's quick, he's aggressive, he's trustworthy. He locks down a player, locks down a side. Distribution, both feet, is instant, quick, and at pace. He can go long, off both feet. He can clip, he can cross, he can diagonal off both feet. For me, and by the way, I play left back at Anfield, and I'll say it right now. I wouldn't, wouldn't, but I'll tell you right now. And so I'm not interested in first 11s, I'm interested in, in the right eleven. Right for the right day, and um, and so I, the only issue with him was fitness, and I, I still think he is. He, he went to the international break, and he and he didn't play in the first Japan game because he was on a program, and he's come back in, and he played the second game, and he came back in after I think at, at Brentford did really really well. Ben White's not in the best of shape at the moment, so and Tom Yasu's playing through it, and. I'm I'm pleased because at the start of the season, I'm not sure everybody would have said you're going to get another contract. They thought he may be on his way back to Italy, for example. And this is, you know, this is this is an example. This is what you do when you're trying to fight your way back into a group and become critical again. You play above and beyond yourself. If there's a forward run to make. You make it. You know, look at the run he made at Man City. He just he just made it. And he made that goal happen and he changed our day that day. He's doing what's the right thing to, even though some of the times it's not his skill set. Taking shots from the edge of the air on the left-hand corner of the area. Taking shots, but he's doing the right thing. I love to see people that want to push themselves to the extremities of their talent, out of their comfort zone, for the benefit of the team, because you have that inside of you. Do not sit as a spectator when there's a run to be made, there's a pass to be made, be brave enough to make it, be brave enough to make the run or the pass, etc. So for me, his attitude is, is is bang on. He's 
either he wants to be part of this group and he seems well loved by the group. And I've got ideas of other defenders that are out there that look exciting on YouTube. I'd much rather have the guy who we know accepts his role, understands what he can deliver to the group, multi-talented, can play anywhere across the back four, and now he's finding his body back again on a consistent basis. Now I'm asking myself, why wouldn't you give a guy like that a contract? Because if you don't, somebody else will, who can recognize what we are starting to refine again. One of the players that helped change us, you know, when he first arrived, Tim, we probably overplayed him. His impact was huge. You know, not, it's not as big as Gabriel Jesus when he arrived in our minds. But for me, who loves his fullbacks and <laughs> loves stability, that's why I, my eyes go to him because a stable team gives you everything you need. So he's part of our group now. And for those who like Tinchenko on a certain day, those who like Tomiyasu on a certain day for a certain opponent, we have both options in our club. Yeah, and it does seem quite horses for courses, which I think is a, a very healthy position to be in. And I guess what did you make of... It's clear that this season there has been a decision certainly to manage Zinchenko's minutes. When Usually when he starts, he comes off at some point, and that's that's just about recognising his body as much as anything. Tomiyasu comes off on 45 minutes on this game. You know, maybe he uh, exerted himself physically, <laughs> well, in, in a different way anyway, in terms of repeat sprints. And I wonder whether you, th- I mean, obviously we don't know and we're speculating whether you think that was a pre-planned move, um, you know, to, to, to have, certainly to have Tommy Asu and White share the game. Because like you said, Ben White been training, not quite in full training. They're trying to kind of polish him back up again. I think we don't want to get into a situation we got into last year where Ben White, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But those last few weeks of the season, you could tell his legs had gone. Um, And yeah, yeah. And and Arteta actually referred to the fact that Ben White doesn't tell you when when he's got an ache or a strain or that time he plays at Newcastle and like his hamstrings, you know, halfway into the oven with the Christmas turkey and he still plays and and all of that. Like, he doesn't give much away on his on his physical state. But, yeah, I, I guess taking both the fullbacks off at half-time um, and, and particularly on that Tommy Asu and White sharing the game a little bit, is that a model? Because at the moment, Tommy Asu and Zinchenko have been sharing the left-back spot, but I wonder if that's something we can transplant into the right-back spot and whether with Kivior as well, maybe we're finding another player there that we can share the left-back spot. Yeah, and, and we should do, because we ask a lot of our fullbacks, don't we? We ask we ask White to be the third centre-back in our 3-2 build-up. Sometimes when we go 2-3, we ask him to stand there. And we also expect him to be the sixth man in our front five, right? And go around the outside. So that none of that tells me you don't have to run a lot, right? So unfortunately, he's got an engine. That's why he's made that position really, really work. I think... I think it was an opportunity to him to take them out because we ask a lot of them. They've played a lot of minutes. When an opportunity presents itself, take out the players with the highest load, with the highest physical load on them, with maybe a track record of shall we say. Do you know what I mean? So why risk it? We literally are playing all the time. We need to get to, you know, we've got Villa coming up, right? We've got Walzos, we've got Villa coming up, we've got Luton coming up. Luton present a different physical challenge, a height challenge. And we all know about Anfield. 
we've got to get there in the right shape the right and, and have the right options. And you start planning for that when you have an opportunity right now. You know, our centre-backs didn't have, they weren't taxed massively, but our full-backs are in this game. We're asking them to do a lot and build up, etc. So take the opportunity, get them out. And, um, and hopefully we don't suffer the injury. I think it's, it's just part of where we are at the moment. We're playing a lot of football, as it feels like to me, you know. Yeah, definitely. And when you've got a guy like Kivior, who is frankly just really unlucky not to be playing more, because every time I see him, I think he looks fantastic. And I think, yeah. you know, you kind of almost feel for him because it's like, but there's Gabriel and Zinchenko and Tomiyasu all in your position. And, you know, it's just... It's difficult, um, you know, to get him those minutes. And actually, I do think this is a way um, of playing him into the group a little bit more yeah. as well. If, if perhaps we move to a model of sharing more minutes among the fullbacks and, you know, maybe White and Tomiyasu share right back and Kivior gets gets a few more minutes, like taking that last 15 minutes off Sinchenko, for example. Um, because, you know, our defensive resources are a little bit stretched, um, without Timber and Tommy Asu's going to be away in January as well. So Kibior, yeah. you know, could potentially become a very important player in that month. We're going to have FA Cup as well. Um, obviously, we'll talk about how we might approach the PSV game, but I, you know, he'll definitely play that. I'm sure. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's there's potential to find some more people during this period, and I do feel like that started. Um, a little bit last night and and talking of finding people I wanted to talk about um, David Raya because mm. you you went into some detail on this on the instant reaction and uh, we never talk about the goalkeeping situation so um, <laughs> but what what I've noticed in the last couple of like it hasn't it hasn't quietened down it did it, it the Topic came back up again because Raya couldn't play at Brentford and Ramsdale played, and obviously that kind of kicked the narrative off again. So we have had the goalkeeper discussion. It doesn't feel like to me for the last few weeks we've had a David Raya discussion, which I think is an indication that things are settling down with him. And I know you really picked him out on the instant reaction, and you know I think we saw a lot more confidence on the ball from him. And we really saw the David Raya dis distribution that either we'd been told about or the FB ref told us about, or, yeah. the, you know, if you watch Brentford, we've seen a little bit at Brentford. Um, David Raya, for you, what did you make of him? This is where going live to a live game really helps. Maybe I can see things and not everyone on the listing can see I saw a seat in the north corner of the ground, so in the first half I was behind Raya, and I can also see Arteta. Arteta is always praising this guy. Even when he's being charged down, he's always praising him. They, they, they seem to know what they need from each other, and Raya is absolutely giving the manager what he needs. His distribution last night was excellent. I think maybe the Brentford game was good for him, because I think he saw, actually, I wonder if he felt before he was the guy. When he saw maybe Ramsdale not have such a great moment, he thought, you know what? If I get picked for next game, I am the guy. And he looked to me like the number one yesterday. You know, it's like it just, the final 10% in his mind just switched over. 
And his distribution was, was good. He can kick a ball, right? We know that. But what was different to me was I often talk about preparation before the ball arrives and how you separate to create time to have your touch and everything that's karma. That work's done before the ball's even got here. That work's done with your relationship with your, with your back forward on the, the guy that's going to give you the ball. And by separating, he gave himself time. He looks composed. Of looking back to how Ramsdale played at the weekend, what he does is he stands to receive it. So he sees it standing still. And of course, he's a, he's a standing target for a press. If you're already moving, you're harder to press. You have to go and work harder to get closer to him. That gives you more time. Right? And that's just football stuff. If you're a fullback, you do that. Right? So, and Raya plays like a footballer. He can see, he can anticipate where the pressure's coming from. So he, he's happy outside of his sticks. A lot of goalkeepers don't want to move outside of their sticks. Why would you do that? Why would you leave your goal to receive the ball? He's happy to do it and he trusts people around him and they trust him. And his distribution, you know, Tim, when you go to a game live, you're, I know you sit on the halfway line and you probably saw a lot of our attacks and they probably stayed in your mind. In the first half, I saw a lot of what Raya did and it stayed in my mind. And I was looking at how he was received and I was looking at the diversification of our attack, going short, going long, and I could see how it was catching them out. And I saw I saw it. I've seen it before, but after seeing Brentford at the weekend, it was super, super clear to me, this is what we want in our goalkeeper. It's a decision, primarily, but the guy's got talent too. Now, the last bit for me, for him, was can I play for Arsenal Football Club with the lights shining on me every three days? If you make a mistake, you're on talk sport for a week. Can he handle that? Can you make a mistake at Brentford? I'm not saying no one cares, but no one's going to talk about it more than a half an hour. You see what I mean? Look at Anana today. A couple of mistakes last night. Mate, I, if I'm him, I wouldn't log on to my electronic devices. Do you know what I mean? Because it won't, won't be fun reading for him. That's what happens when you're at a big club and you have a bad moment. I think Ray made a big step forward in, for many people yesterday. I think, uh, am, I, am, I, am I being over the top here? I think, if it, for me anyway, the debate, the, the debate closed. It just closed right there. But you know what? If he, he has an anana moment, the debate opens up again. But I feel he made a step forward yesterday completely. Yeah, absolutely. He did a lot of that left centre backing. Um, we do we see him do sometimes where he goes into the left centre back role in build up, mm. and Gabriel pushes out wide, and it enables Zinchenko to sit in midfield next to Rice, and you know a lot of that going on. And he just looked when he was doing that, you know, dropping the ball and putting his foot on it. He looks so much more comfortable yep. doing it, and you could just see a bit like Havertz, just the way he was kicking the ball. There, there was a nonchalance that I think. Perfection. had gotten away from him because yeah. the first couple of games, I think we saw that. And then I think we lost it a little bit in him, but I don't know. It just feels to me like that situation has settled down. And it's not just because people are tired of the conversation because like none of us were tired of it on Saturday at Brentford. Everyone was having it again. Yeah. It It's quietened down, I think, because... I guess a good goalkeeper is a bit like a good referee, right? Like if you don't really notice them, then that's generally a good sign. And and really with with Raya, like 
not you have to squint to see it, but do you know what I mean? You have to be the type of person who analyzes and not, you know, uh, like, like the sort of person who might listen to this podcast, who might <laughs> exactly. squint to see it, you know? Um, I, I think like the, I didn't want to say average punter cause I don't, but you know what I mean? Like most of the people in the stadium and, and all of that probably went home, didn't think about David Raya or anything like that. And that's, that's good, right? That's kind of what you want. He took a he took a cross and went hiding. He going towards the back post that killed that little thing. He came aggressive yeah. on a couple of crosses, punched them away, and distribution was excellent. And I look, we won six 0 and we talk about goalkeeper. But we're trying to think about the future of this team, where we're going. And in my mind, when I look at Arsenal, I'm looking at us. There's two trophies I want to see in this club. And one of them was the competition we played in last night, and one of them is the Premier League. If we're trying to get to that level, these conversations are valid conversations if you want to just play and compete then we're all right we're all right but we're trying to get better to play in different ways and show teams different faces and this goalkeeper allows us to do that yeah it's interesting i was having a discussion the two guys i i sit with at emirates both former goalkeepers um, themselves, not quite at the Arsenal level. <laughs> and um, one of them into his 60s now. So I think uh, he was, you know, he was in Palace's youth team. Yeah, he was in Palace's youth team probably when Roy Hodgson was, to be honest. Um, but, you know, so they have a keen eye for goalkeepers. And we're having a conversation about Edison, uh, actually. And we were like, watch Man City. No one presses Edison. Like, Edison takes the ball across the goal line for a walk. No one gets nervous. No one presses him because they know it's a waste of time. Yeah. Basically, it's like he's so good on the ball that it's it's like an, a non-factor, you know, and, and that's you, kind you of have what you want to get to. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You have a decision to make. When a goalkeeper's got like a, a shaka bully out of a gun left foot, then you know what you do? You've got a decision to make. Do I try to press him? Or do I try to make sure I look after the targets that he might try to hit? If I don't get that right, we're going to be conceding. When a goalkeeper can literally spook a defender to think he can hit anybody on this pitch right now, and I and he can do it at a trajectory that make me struggle to get there on time, I'll tell you what you do, you stand still. So you stand still, you don't press. And I think you're absolutely right. We need to get to that point. And we will do in time when we get about yeah, four yeah. new attackers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's just the last one on this game, because then we'll, uh, we'll maybe just have a quick chat about um, the last group game, PSV. Um, I'm going out to that one. Um, oh. I, I might play, actually. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I might get some minutes. Um but before we talk, and we'll talk a little bit about Wolves on Saturday, but something I, I, I have to say, it didn't strike me in the ground at all. I didn't think about it, um, but I'd, I'd seen a lot of discussion about it online was the kind of not bringing any of the academy kids on when, you know, perhaps 5-0 at half time, we could have given a Nwanyeri a 10 minutes, a Lewis Skelly a 10 minutes and, uh, you know, really kind of made their seasons as it were. Did that, did that bother you at all or... Um, I, I mean, I, ha I have a theory on this. Like I say, I didn't even think about it at the time, which probably tells you where I am. But there's been a lot of discussion about this, about whether this was a missed opportunity to kind of give one of those players some minutes in a Champions League game. I think it was far more important to make sure we don't break their 
bad things of our fallbacks. We do those things. I think it's far more important. I think it was a it was a move to basically give them guys who've been to the Under-17 World Cup. It didn't go that well for England in the Under-17 World Cup. So you bring them into the group. You remind them of what how well we think about them. There's three players there. There's, there's Miles, there's Ethan Manieri, and there's Charles Seiko Jr. They seem to be the three that are poking their heads up the most of the current academy group. Bring them close to the first team because you will be going to PSV. And you will get some time there. This is what a Champions League match day really looks like. So give them that experience. Bring them into the group. Get them to know some of the some of the lads on a more closer basis, though they train with them. Understand what a match day schedule's like. And then when you do have an opportunity to play in, in Holland, which I'm sure they'll have some time on the pitch, they know what's required of them. They know how it all works. It's not all brand new. So I was not bothered at all. They are very, very young. We're talking 16-year-olds here. You know, they played in under-17s for England. They are very, very young. They haven't finished growing yet, right? These are, we're very, very young men. We've just got to be patient. And I'd much rather, you know, I care a lot about making sure Kivior feels attracted to this group because, as you say, Tom Yass is going away in January. He's a very important player, and I don't want him to leave the club. That's really important. Jorginho's role the last few weeks, while Odegaard's not been in the team, has been critical to our points accumulation. Much more important that he feels part of the group and can affect the game in the second half. And we know about our defensive rotation. So all the priorities, they lower down that priority. But the fact that they're 16 years of age and in a Champions League squad, or 16, 17, in a Champions League squad, is... Is, is enough. Just be, take, let's take our time, shall we? Let's take our time. I don't know if anyone saw any of those England games. They did, they did okay in some of them and were just okay in others. So, you know, give them time. Give them time and they'll get their moment. Yeah, I agree. I like they're not 18, 19, they're 16, 17. And, and yeah, and frankly, they would have been playing earlier in the day at Boreham Wood were it not for the fact that Arsenal got some injuries at the moment and they kind of were making up the numbers. But yeah, to your point, there's still a value in that. And, you know, they got a nice up close kind of, this is the level, boys. Yeah. Um, so even just watching that from the bench or the paddock or wherever is 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 very, very valuable. Also, I think the, the other thing that comes to my mind um, is you've got to think about the other players that you do leave on the pitch because you can't sub everyone. You can sub five players, but that's five players, uh, outfield players who are getting 90 minutes and you still have to look after them. And the thing is, when you start putting academy kids on who've never played with the team before, that increases everyone else's workload. Yeah. Um, just because they're not, through no fault of their own, just because they're inexperienced, they haven't played in the team before, the guy next to them has to do a bit more running. So I think you you potentially put yourself in a situation where you, you stress some of the guys that you're saying, actually, you're going to have to do 90 minutes this time. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it didn't even enter my mind at the time, to be honest. Um, two more kind of points of order before we go. PSV, final group game. I think both of us, you and I, get into this dance where, um, and this happened in the Europa League, where <laughs> two weeks out from the game, we go, oh, like, play the chef, 
play 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 uh, Steve Round. Uh, I don't know what he's doing nowadays. Um, play Mikel Arteta, you know. Play Charlie George, and then the game comes around, and then we see the squad, the travelling squad, and Saka's in it, and Erdegaard's in it, and we go, oh, actually, well, you know, Arteta's trying to approach, you know, have this culture where every game matters, and and all of that. Where do you stand, like? Let, let's say we agree, Nelson, Kivior, like these guys should definitely, you know, Jorginho, like Trossard, Inketia, like all of those guys should start. Yep. But where do you, um, where do you stand on like the rest of it? How would you treat this game? Would you be leaving um, Saka, Martinelli at home? Um, or... Would you do the kind of Europa League? Maybe we'll give them 10, 15 minutes at the end. Or, you know, it's it's a dead rubber for PSV as well yeah. um, to bear in mind. So how, how would you treat that last game? Firstly, let's, let's respect the competition. Right? Um, I think we it, it's important that we, we keep that winning habit per se. There'll be opportunity for people who have not got enough minutes. Absolutely. But there'll be some people that will play fifty-five minutes in a game, and that's fine. You know, that's that's really fine. Back to your point about not killing people. If you have your structures in place, then you, you're not killing anybody on the pitch because you're playing to a certain pattern. So uh, my view is, yes, see some players play like like um, Nelson, for example. Hope he gets a good start in the game. But when he's not quite, if when he tires after seventy-five minutes. Don't flog him till he gets injured. If Martin needs to come on for the last 15 minutes, then that's what happens. You know, so um, they will know which ones need to have their legs up on the settee. They will know which ones they are. They'll know which ones are in training that are showing the data that's saying, look, we need to maybe leave this one behind. We haven't got um, a huge squad available. We mentioned the three youth players there. I hope we get time. There's another one I call Bradley Ibrahim, who's like the skipper of the under-21s. He looks like he's got the physical potential to be at that level for some time on the pitch. I'd love to see those four youth players have minutes in that game. I don't know how many minutes, but that would be really good for the club. It would be good for the academy to see there's a pathway there. And to have a Champions League debut for the team, wow, that would just be amazing. Absolutely amazing for them and their families. So I hope they're working towards that. You know, because the youth games that I watch, they really do look, they stand out to me. You know, Raw Waters being another one. So you want to give me five there, I'll give you five. They're the ones that stand out to me and I hope they're involved in the squad. If, if their youth schedule allows it, I hope they're involved in the squad and I hope they get their time on the pitch when it, you know, to have that moment for the club. So um, that's my hope. But we're, we're also a football club. I don't want to go into a game where we get done six because we, we haven't take, we haven't treated it properly. Right, so... That's that's more important to me, I think. But sharing of me, it's and five subs. You know, I'm a huge fan of it. I can't imagine a game without it now, um, and that gives opportunity to look after people. So I don't see any drama. Leave one or two behind that are critical, but play the rest. 
Yeah, and I think also sometimes we're guilty of underestimating what leaving people out of squads for European away games, what we're actually talking about. We're essentially talking about like three days off there mm. um, if you don't travel because you can travel and not play and just train with the team and stay ticking over or maybe get your 10 minutes at the end. And I think the other thing, I, I listened to a really interesting podcast a month or two ago with Everton's former um, strength and conditioning guy and he was talking about how like some players need to play every game basically because that's what they're used to and your body gets into almost like the Carcadian rhythm, right? It gets into that and it needs it Um, and different players have different needs and he talked about working with Tim Cahill and he was like, Tim Cahill would go off and play for Australia. He'd come back Friday morning. He had to play on Saturday. And the one time they rested him, he got injured because he was used to, you know, that that's what his kind of body needed. So there's there's all sorts of stuff. And, you know, you don't take someone with you. You don't get the training the day before. You don't get the match day routine. Like, I I think, you know, I think like, like you say, unless like it's proper red zone stuff, you take players, but maybe how you use them and if you use them, even if they just sit on the bench and do laps of the pitch afterwards. Exactly. I, I think I, there's. I do think someone like Declan Rice, who's maybe his importance is becoming <laughs> really hard not to see. Did you and, see him feel his back uh, yeah, at the beginning I, of the second I thought, half? <laughs> I thought he was a little, he, he had his foot problem as well. And I looked and I thought, hmm. When are we ever going to get a chance to see you down? And so that one, given the fact that for most of the time he also plays for his country as well, and given the fact that Thomas Party has been injured, so we've really relied on him massively, moved him around, asked him to do different jobs. If there's a chance to sit him, you take it, right? Yep. You absolutely take it. If there's a if Jesus is showing tendencies, his hamstring is in a bit of problem, we don't want to lose him again. You don't want to lose him again. So you take it. The club will know. But, you know, there's two or three there that I'd like to see, you know, watching EastEnders, but the rest, travel. Travel. Yeah, yeah. Um, before that, though, we've got, um, just to finish, a game against Wolves at home on Saturday, Saturday, 3pm. Uh, that means a pre-match yieldist for me. I'm doing the Lacazette. <laughs> um, loads of bread and meat before three, 3 o'clock kickoff. Wonderful stuff. Um, Wolves. I mean, first of all, let's look at this from two angles. First of all, this might be a quick answer. Would you stick with that front six um, that we saw? Or, or, you know, obviously we're in a period now where we've got Luton Tuesday night and then Villa away. And, you know, uh, Trossard um, was a player we didn't use in this game. For example, he was he stayed in his puffer jacket all night. Um, Would you make any changes there? Did you see him even warm up to him? Did you see him? They're on the different side for me so particularly at this time of year where they're wearing snoods and jackets the size of cars it's it's kind of difficult for me to pick them out yeah i wasn't sure Um, the reason why i asked the question is because his form's been really really good and he could feel a little bit aggrieved that he didn't start the game and you know the fact he didn't if i wasn't sure if he warmed up which maybe tells you a story i mean sometimes we only know what we think we know right so I'm I'm quite patient with players as you as you know, and but I've been I've been sort of running out of patience with Fabio Vieira a little bit lately. Then you find out that he's had a groin injury for a while, and we've been doing some alternative treatments, and it hasn't really worked out. And he's gone for operation, 
So I haven't gone big on it because I'm not that sort of guy. But I tell you, Tim, that basically everyone's listening now, that I've been getting, losing a bit of patience with him in, inside, you know. And sometimes there's a reason for it. Odegaard, for example, people losing patience with him. What's he doing? Do you find out about the hip injury? And then you, and you think, okay, you see him last night and he's, he's springing around again like a three-year-old again. Do you see what I mean? We don't always know things. So Trossard could be a situation there where maybe he was showing signs of an injury. He played international break. And maybe we took a decision to sit him. There's enough games for Trossard. You know, I'm not just... Yeah. You know, Luton, for example, tight pitch, technical technical player, small space player. You can see him doing it there, can't you? You can, you can see it. Yeah. It may not be a day for expansive white men, for example. So I just think about picking horses for those courses, mate. Yeah, and Trotter played the 490 um, at Brentford as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that was a little bit behind the decision because there was that last sub and it was like it's either going to be Trossard or Nketiah and they put Nketiah on for 10 minutes and, and yeah. I think that was probably... Trossard had 90 minutes on Saturday. We'll, give, we'll give him the night off and yeah. and whatever. I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to address on the Wolves game is um, Wolves... <laughs> I saw someone describe this as the PGMFL derby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in terms of teams who are um, perhaps uh, a little bit annoyed with <laughs> with officiating at the moment. To be fair, I think Wolves have got more cause this for complaint season, than sure. pretty much any team um, this season. And I, I have to say, I think Gary O'Neill was incredibly measured um, on Monday night. Like that's another one. Like with Arteta after Newcastle, obviously I'm biased, but I was like. I think this is a day you can lose it, to be honest. I think this is a day where you can use words like disgrace and embarrassment because I don't think Arteta does that that often. But sometimes, I, I, you know, sometimes you've got to. I think Gary O'Neill could have done that. And actually, he acknowledged that when he was talking. He said, like, do I have to start making a bit of noise? But then I'll get fined. And, you know, so do you... What like I think every fan, because we're minded like this, worries about that and says, oh, they're going to even it out now and Wolves are going to get three penalties and we're going to get players sent off. Like, d- does any of that... F- it can't figure in Arteta's mind. The team can't address that. Like, they, they just can't. That would be silly. But, like, in your mind as a fan, do you have that that kind of anxiety at all? Absolutely. We find it. We worry about everything. Come on. We're all thinking about it. We're all thinking that the, any fifty decision is going to go their way and no one's going to care about us. They're going to say, well, you know what? Wolves would do one. So my, my team talk would be take the referee out of the game by sticking the ball in their net. Right? And that's exactly what I'll be talking about. And funny enough, I don't, you know what we're like, Tim. I watched all the interviews on different channels last night, player interviews. How many of them mentioned the word wolves in those interviews? Their mind have already moved on very quickly. They know the importance of it. And I've, I've felt this all season that they're not... We used to go into games last year hoping we are going to win and enjoying the wins. They're going to games this year expecting they're going to win. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that's different. They're expecting to win matches. And they're, they're looking at the season as a season and not just the next game. This is what we need to do for this game to get where you want to get to. Get your heads down and focus on the next thing we have to do. But we expect to win. We expect to win. Any way we can win, as regular as we need to, is by having our mentality and our approach correct. And to hear, I mean, the manager's already told in the dressing room, 
mate, get your heads on. It's Wolves Saturday. It's going to be hard. They're a good side. They've been mistreated. He's got their heads on. So when they come out to speak to people, they're thinking about Wolves already. You know, so and I, as a fan, you know, we want to win every game because we like our Saturday nights and our Saturday lunchtimes. <laughs> um, I'm buzzing with that, you know, because I, I want this to continue because I want this team to get to the promised land. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be, I, I like Wolves as a team. I think Gary O'Neill's really, you know, he's a really good manager. I think he's unfair treated at Bournemouth. He's found a good club at Wolves. And he's established himself as a Premier League manager and he's doing a quietly really good job and deserves more points. However, mate, you need to be done on Saturday. <laughs> <Not> that, <laughs> you need to be you need to be done on Saturday. And um and they they suffered injury to Neto, which I think affects them badly. Although Huang has done really, really well to sort of fill that gap per se from a offensive output perspective. Uh, I do like their centre back Kilman, the lefty centre back, who's mm-hmm. potentially could get into England group, you know. Push behind Levi Colwell, but maybe I th- I'm not sure that's fair. So he's one to watch. He's got a great distribution, great diag on his left foot. But we should be beating them, right? If we're focused and we're we're ready, we should be beating them, and I expect us to do so. Yeah, definitely, and uh, co-sign all of that. And they they picked up a couple of suspensions, I believe, as well yep, um, in the Fulham game. So uh, it's it, it's all there for us. But you know what happened the last time we played at home to a Gary O'Neill side. Um, yeah. You know, we we all, we all went a little bit bolder. <laughs> it, it it might have given us one of the greatest moments in the end we had watching Arsenal, but um, the seventy minutes or so the first seventy minutes or so, uh, I aged significantly. And you're right, he's a really bright coach. Um, I, I actually uh, he's from my area and went to a neighbouring school. I played against him a few times. Um, he's only a year older than me, so uh, mm. yeah, someone I've I've followed. Uh, whose career I followed very, very keenly, actually. But yeah, really, really bright guy, really bright manager. And I'm with you. Like I, I kind of understand a little bit why Bournemouth did what they did. It was mega harsh on him, but yeah. I think you're right. I think he's found a good club in Wolves that really kind of suits his profile, and he's building his profile in the game. And yeah, I, you know, I've got a lot of respect for him. But like yeah. you say, on Saturday, no chance. We've got points to take. We're top of the league again. We've got Wolves. We've got Luton. The world will end if we don't get six points from those two. So, you know, we've set a bit of a bar with games at home to like Burnley and Sheffield United recently in these lovely Champions League nights where we're 5-0 up at halftime. And, you know, we're not going to be 5-0 up at halftime on Saturday, that's for sure. But, um, you know, we, we expect to win our home games and we expect to be looking at our phones trying to get a reception on 75 minutes because the game's over. So... Let's see what it brings us, but um, we will be back. We will have an instant reaction for you uh, for patrons um, on Saturday after the game, and those go out about 60 to 90 minutes after the game ends. Um, And then we'll have the main pod for you on Monday, and clearly we will have an instant reaction to Luton on Tuesday night as well. I might be on that because the away allocation is about 15, I think, for Luton, and unfortunately... I'm not in the same bracket I was five years ago, so I didn't get one of those. So um, I'll be watching on the sofa like most other people. However, um, until then, take it easy and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Wolves nil.